The Academic Podcast Agency. Welcome to the Why Tell Stories podcast, podcast exploring why humans tell stories, and particularly we're excited by experimental audio storytelling. I'm Daniel Clark. I am a storyteller, story lover, and director of creative program at the Story Museum in Oxford. And my name's Will Hood. I am a story lover also, documentary maker, audio anthropologist, uh, podcast producer, and we're super excited to be back again to have made it to episode eight. And this episode, we're looking at a very, very interesting piece. Originally broadcast in 1978, it is a radio play without words. Pushing the experiment in experimental storytelling, as you say, a play without words, and it is a challenging listen, I think it's fair to say, right? Mm. Well, like many of these pieces, it requires an attention span. It's about 20 minutes long. Um, And because it has no words, you're essentially encouraged to experience a narrative where I guess you have to fill in the blanks. A lot of the motivations or personal characteristics of people that you will hear, but you won't hear them talk. So interestingly, in um, an interview about this piece, Andrew Sachs, writer-director, Um, said that he felt people talked too much on radio and that he wanted to express something that really understood that it's a medium of sounds and not just words. Which I think this piece really does. And I know that this piece, as as we travelled around, as I've travelled around with audio storytelling um, all over the world, it's a piece that a lot of audio storytellers are really excited by. It's quite an influential piece because it really is pulling at the sides and the edges of of what's possible with um, with sonic storytelling. Yeah. So interestingly, it still had a script when it was made, but it was a script uh, which was one page long. And I also believe it was used to train radio producers as a kind of technical task, which is quite interesting. So that mm. idea of the art of collecting sounds and supporting sounds to tell a narrative where the spoken word is absent. And But this takes it to a whole new level. It totally pushes and says okay what happens if we take away the words and push sound forward as the primary storyteller it's really interesting piece and it was recorded i think largely on location it was all recorded using a binaural head um, so this is a piece that is 3d audio for headphones binaural is a technique whereby you record with two omnidirectional microphones with a block in between sometimes it's an actual physical head but it mimics the way that our human ears work um, to create Um, a a, a three-dimensional sound field very similar to our own listening experience. It wants to put you in the role of the central character. Absolutely. That's that's what it's it's best. So the audio is you're given a simulation as if it was your ears going through this experience. I've actually prepared a little one-minute clip at the front of this piece, which is both the director and the producer talking about this technique as Dan described of binaural and why it's different and perhaps um, I think they also suggest the way that you should think about it I think we should listen to that interview, it sounds fascinating Alright, let's cue it up Here we go The play you're about to hear, The Revenge is an experiment in terms of sound It's a play written for radio without dialogue 
Now, the play's been recorded in binaural stereo, and to achieve the full effect of binaural stereo, you should listen on stereo headphones plugged into your stereo receiver. Now, you can enjoy the play in ordinary stereo through speakers and indeed in mono, but it's important that you listen at the correct level, and if you're listening in stereo, that your speakers are correctly balanced. But the revenge does require fairly concentrated listening, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. This is why I think listeners should listen in as quiet a room as possible, preferably with the windows closed, and if they can arrange it so they're not distracted during the 20-odd minutes the play runs, and there are as few extraneous sounds as possible, I think it will help them to enjoy the revenge as a play, which is what it is, after all. Oh, yes, it's just a very simple uh, thriller, really. Yeah. But I think that what is absolutely important when you are listening to this play is uh, to remember that implicit in the title is the theme. Ronald Mason, Andrew Sachs, thank you very much. The Revenge A play for radio without words by Andrew Sachs
Well, there you go. Jesus. <laughs> I've got so many questions. So many questions. Yeah. But I think that's the point, right? Yeah. I mean, it's very much an experiment, right? It's 
I mean, I mean, I love it. It, it is quite difficult to um, to maintain focus on what's going on when you take away the dialogue, right? Oh, any any um, linguistic cues whatsoever. You know, it's, there's there's nothing yeah. to grab onto. So you're working double time. So I, I I'm intrigued by. I think it was the producer, so Ronald Mason, in that little clip that we played beforehand, he makes a big thing out of saying the principal narrative is in the title, right? So the revenge. Yeah. So that sets me up to think that this guy has escaped a prison-type setting. He's gone back to pay his retribution to somebody, presumably who is responsible for the state that he got into. I mean, I didn't... I. I almost wondered whether the beginning was the ending at one point, that kind of running and hiding. But your explanation's kind of neater than mine, I guess. And he's running from somewhere that sort of makes more sense of it. I hadn't thought of it like that. Okay. All right. Well, that's interesting that even that there's um, room for manoeuvre with that. I definitely get the sense of a guy that's escaping because he he has to fool the dogs, doesn't he, by going underwater. And you get that wonderfully... um, sonically really wonderful underwater bit where the voices recede into the background you know that underwater sound and the dogs uh i mean it's quite gruesome also isn't it when it's just the audio and that i mean that harrowing scene at the end where he drowns the guy in the bathtub is like yeah i mean we were both wincing (laughs) at that point and there's there's nothing other than a couple of actors and a bit of water really and so it's this weird thing of because the age that we are, we would have seen so much violence on screen that you've been desensitized to it in a way which perhaps you haven't with the audio or the audio requires you, if you're going to listen to it, if you're not going to turn away, requires you to really be present, right? And really feel the sensation of someone that's being drowned in a bath. Totally. And you must have experienced this in uh, in in your work and making documentaries and those kind of things, that the sound is often more of a visceral component than the visual. You know, you can have a, um, a harrowing scene with a, uh, with a kind of juxtaposing piece of sound and it will kind of level it out. Or you could have a really beautiful scene with a really stark piece of sound and, and it feels really, uh, really overwhelming. So I, th- I think the sound does a lot, but we just don't always pay that much notice to it. Sure. It's having, certainly on your emotional reaction to the piece, it's having a big influence all the time, isn't it? Totally. And so in this situation where not only have you taken away the picture, you've taken away the narrative, the language. I mean, it's fascinating to think whether if there was a picture to that, or even if there was words to that, whether that audio would remain the same, right? Mm. Because it seems very pronounced, but perhaps it's because we've been reduced to that one uh, reading of it. Yeah, it's. I, I, I always find it quite a confusing piece. You know, it's there are points certainly in the middle where he's clearly on the run, which just feels like I, I kind of get lost, you know. But, but in, to in, me... To me, it's got quite a linear narrative. Yeah. So the the one other question that I have is that the whole telephone, now the sound of a rotary telephone is quite an archaic sound. Anybody listening to this under the age of, God, I don't know what, 25, 30 even maybe, probably 
it won't even necessarily know what that sound is, right? But yeah. my question is, regardless of that, who was he phoning? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> was exactly. it so it was phoning perhaps someone to at the first time round to tell them that he'd escaped, but they didn't answer, so obviously we don't hear the conversation. And perhaps he was phoning somebody after the deed was done, after the revenge was committed, but also they don't pick up. So it's made powerful by that though. I think that's very clever part of the narrative storytelling in that you get this sense that he wants to speak to somebody mm. uh but it hasn't but it can't happen um i, I want to talk about the edits because the there's a very clever and subtle way you experience the passing of time right which yeah. is really accentuated when he's waiting in the house you get that fade out of the kind of atmospheric sounds primarily the clock and there's also the cat there but then when it comes back again you've got him sleeping right is that did you Mm. hear that as well this kind of the breath has changed and there's Mm. a kind of performance of a sleeping person and the cat's purring Mm. and then he's woken up by the return of the homeowner but that grammar, I think, is really interesting of the fade, mm. the let's miss a beat of silence and then we're back again. So yeah, there's and that. And they do that a few times as a transition, right? And the way that the clock works with that as well, that yes. you're almost missing a beat of the clock. It, it, it's, it's really neatly done. And I think that moment's kind of pronounced for me as well, because amongst all this tension of the usually driven by the breath, and the environment's yeah. moving, so it's the you know the breath is the is the primary pulse in it in a way. You then have this moment where you've got all of those sounds that we'd associate with with comfort. You know, you've got you've got the clock, the gentle clock. The kind of breath slows down. The cat purring, and then the pipe as well. So you've got this kind of this. Why a pipe and not a cigarette? I I heard oh, a cigarette. Yeah. Did you hear a cigarette? It was. I, I definitely heard a cigarette. In my mind, it was a cigarette. But why? I want to know why a pipe because of the kind of because lighter. The light. The lighter was a pipe lighter, so it's like it's a click. So it was one of those long lighters, as I heard it, and okay. also the inhalation yeah. was like a. Rather okay, than, he was he was getting the pipe going. Yeah, yeah. that was how I read it. So. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess all these sonic cues, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't matter, but it's a, it's a nice little well, detail. I think at least part of its power is in its ambiguity, right? And Absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I think that's perhaps that slight tease from the producer in that clip at the beginning was the almost the invitation to arrange your thoughts around this idea of revenge. Because mm. it's fascinating to think what different readings or sense perhaps you would have got out of it if it didn't have that title, right? Yeah, yeah, it does a lot, doesn't it? It's So we had this, we made a piece a few years ago, the, a piece called To Sleep To Dream, where our primary objective was to figure out how much sound we could, uh, we could lead with as a storyteller um, and how many words we could take away. So there was a it was a 90 minute piece and we experimented with um with actors but also with uh, visually impaired and blind participants who would come along to reading so we would run these sessions where we do the present an aspect of the work or sit in a room with actors um who were wordless and see how much you could read 
people could read from just from their breath or from their body mm. movements. Okay. And it was an interesting uh, exercise. And where we ended up was using certain words. So we had, um, I was narrating the piece in the end, and we used, we had certain sentences or just kind of little, little kind of snippets of, of narration just to keep people all on the same narrative track. Because we found that people, there was so much divergence in what people were imagining and visualising or, or just or, or experiencing okay. in terms of story that we were like, okay, how do you keep it on one track? And I think this is a good example. You know, they've used the title as, yeah. the, as the holding form. Well, it's the main signpost, isn't it? So arrange everything around that. And, and it's very powerful because of that. It's all you've got, really, in some ways. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, what I find fascinating about it is that it wants you to be that person, doesn't mm. it? Which I suppose, you know, when you sit there and you watch a film and you, you know, whatever it might be, you're having an empathy experience anyway. And if you lose yourself, you know, you're becoming that central character, perhaps. Mm. But this wants it to go a step further. I mean, reflecting on it now, it is remarkable how just from the sound, with no picture and no dialogue of just how sharp in my mind those places yeah. exist. Because I'm reliving yeah. it now. You know, I'm talking about the kitchen. I know exactly what that kitchen looks like. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a clever sleight of hand, isn't it? Which I think is always going on with audio. But it conjures up um, things, an atmosphere, uh, an ambiance which you you don't question, right? It's almost like a sense of smell. There's something um, yeah. that bypasses your literal brain. Because we're experiencing it all the time. Yeah. At this point in time, these kind of pieces are always going to sit as experiments, right? Because it's because there's not been enough of them. But we're, we're at a point in our visual language where we've just come out of, you know, over a century of visual storytelling through film and TV and those kind of things. And I think what you see in, in visual storytelling, certainly in, in film and TV at the moment, is so sophisticated. There's a, a general level of kind of understanding of if you put that image and that image, then that means that. Mm. that we, we're very, we have a really sophisticated sense of storytelling. As, There's as an established people. grammar, isn't it? Exactly. And quite often yeah. now you get the subversion of the grammar. So we're going to put this and this together, which normally would represent this, but actually in this case, we've done something different, right? So totally. I mean, yeah, it's a, a, like a cultural commentary on what's already been established. Exactly. But what we don't have, I think, as such an established thing is the equivalent in sonic storytelling. And that's partly because of appetite. And I think, you know, if we're looking back to kind of things like Manhattan Tower and that, that heyday that we often talk about, if that continued and TV never took off and cinema never took off, we probably would have had a very established sonic storytelling language that meant that we could be listening to something like this and it would feel quite crude in relation to, you know, that whole story could probably get told in three minutes now in a much more efficient um, and elegant way. So I think it's, but I think we we don't have that grammar in a way, but I don't think there's any reason why that shouldn't be in place and we shouldn't be able to have these quite sophisticated sonic storytelling pieces that don't require words. Um, and so I think pieces like this are essential and we should be, there should be more of them so that we can kind of be, be forwarding the language. Yeah. I mean, this, this use of the word 
grammar, I think, is is super interesting because um, what I get so much pleasure from working in sound and and you know listening to these pieces with you Dan and um and just that whole possibility of the sound only format is that it to me it seems to kind of defy a standardization of grammar mm. and i'm not quite sure why that is there's something about the audio only format, whether you call it radio, podcasts, you know, whatever you're um, talking about, stereophonic documentaries, where the possibilities, the permutations of what you might express just seem endless to me. I, I mean, perhaps um, this is also true of the visual form. You know, it's not like we've exhausted it, but there's something tremendously exciting about how many different ways there are to present a story through audio. You know, that that gets me excited. I, I, I totally agree. But I think that's possibly as well, partly due to the kind of nature of the pieces that we've been listening to and are drawn to as people. You know, if we'd launched this podcast series and spent ep eight episodes listening to the equivalent of The Archers, which is a very established um, audio storytelling format, you know, where you Let's have... Let's do that. You have to, yeah, exactly. Or <laughs> <Our> Archers <laughs> podcast. But where you have, you know, actors in a room reading things and then there's... You know, there's sound effects that kind of and ambiences that help boost that scene or or underpin it. Yeah. Then that's very established. Everyone knows it. It sits on the radio. You know, there's 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 a set of and rules it's well loved, people, right? It's I well mean, loved and it works. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, for sure. You know, but but what we've been talking about over the course of this is is where does the form get pushed? What happens when you? Yeah. push at the edges and, and you know listening to things that are playful with the form but i'm doubling back on myself because i think there is a established sonic storytelling language but yes I think this end of and then there's the, the fringe edges, and beyond the fringe yeah and and these kind of experiments of going let's take all the cues away let's just look at our sonic language i think is really has massive potential one extra thing i wanted to flag um just from the notes that I've got in front of me here, the producer and the director, they referred to the piece as a simple thriller and it had 11 actors. Mm. And then this is the point that I thought was interesting is that all of the sounds were real. There was no library sounds mm. used. So I just want to mm. uh, discuss that very briefly because first of all, we're in 1978, so it would have been more difficult yet not impossible to access libraries of sounds then. I mean, now, you know, you can dial this stuff up on the internet and get any sounds that you want almost instantaneously, right? Whereas presumably, you know, if you're um, making a piece for the BBC in 78, you have to wait a month for a vinyl to arrive in the post or something like that. But it doesn't mean that it, it couldn't be done. To me, I, I think there's something fascinating about the idea that although this is a drama, it it has elements of documentary in it, in the sense that it's been performed and people have captured this in real time. Mm. I say this because I think, for good or for bad, I think somebody attempting to make a similar piece today, they simply 
the temptation to just use the sounds that already exist, the high fidelity recordings that already exist on file would be too great, right? But I think you'd end up with something very, very different. And I think yeah. the level of control that you'd have over that and manipulation would lead you down a different path. Would you agree yeah. with that? Do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally hear that. And I think you're right. I do wonder whether the that choice was made partly because of the desire to use binaural, which at that time, I think having a workflow around, now it's very simple, but to have a workflow sure. of embedding sounds in three-dimensional, in, in binaural, it, 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 or mixing in 3D, yeah, so it wasn't it's a really big thing. possible. Yeah, sure. whereas then it was just like, it was a stereo mic that you stuck on a stick. Well, and it's, it's the experience of, it's really the experience, albeit that it was being acted. It's the mm. sounds that were made actually at the time, mm. right? I mean, I, I guess I'm trying to address some kind of um, authenticity, although it's mm. fictional, although it's drama, that there is something authentic about that. Whereas a composite of many, many different sounds from many, many different places, i.e. library sounds, put together in a, in a clever way, I think you'd end up with a different result. And, and the reason why I think that that is uh, fascinating or important even is because I think making the same piece today, you would be, you'd end up taking the shortcut. I mean, apparently this was recorded over a week in Reading and Archway in London. Who would spend a week doing that when actually you could spend a couple of afternoons and get all those sounds together, mm. you know, and do the breath work in a studio? And so it's a different level of simulation, isn't it? And also the logistics that would have gone with that, that I'd imagine it wouldn't have been as simple as just turning up in Archway with your binaural head and a few actors. Right. They would have had to close yeah. areas off and, sure, sure. you know, yeah. got licences and all those kind of things. Like, it's, it is, it's probably quite prohibitive. So to use, a, to use a musical example of where I think this type of thing makes a difference, because, you know, if you're listening to this at home, you might be thinking, well, that makes no real difference. It's the result that's important. And you might be right. But I listened to something... Um, recently with Rick Rubin, uh, you know, the, the famous mm -hmm. producer. And I think it was <clears throat> him and Paul McCartney listening to some early Beatles stuff, and they were playing a track off Help. Um, and it's not necessarily important who it is. I mean, this could happen with anybody. And they honed in on a guitar part where clearly he's kind of messed up his line a bit and you can hear the fingers aren't quite making the notes and they're kind of catching on the fretboard, you know, which mm. is something that often happens. And it was interesting because McCartney said, you know, today, if you heard that, you'd zoom in, it would be easy to zoom in, overdub, take that out, pop in a clean guitar part, right? And you'd move on. You know, you'd absolutely do that. Mm. But actually, they were reflecting on how, in the total, listening back to it, it sounds like four guys in their early 20s, one of whom is so excited about being there that he mm. messes up his guitar part, mm. right? So there's that kind of undesigned and unintentional expression of sounds of people as they actually go through something authentically, which is different it? to how you would choose to um, construct it if you had total control. And I think today, certainly in the world of sound design and, um, and things like that, we have total control. 
right? Well, and I think I think with everything, you know, even the thing down to filters, because it made me think of, uh, you know, it's just it's like a snapshot, isn't it? These things are a snapshot of a moment of uh, that's is capturing a moment. I mean, we talked about this before. <laughs> But it's the difference between someone using Photoshop and airbrushing out that guy in the background yes. eating a sandwich yes. and just going, there's a guy in the background <laughs> eating a sandwich. And it's, so yeah, I mean, but I think those environments would have been relatively constructed as well. So the, oh, 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 of course. and But it's, it's interesting talking about it when you're talking about fiction, isn't it? Because mm. I still think there is, there's a human trace of something there there's there's so many shortcuts and so many cheats now that we have on mm. plugins that can do all these things for us and, and i don't a- want to sound like an old man but no, as an old man i would i would suggest <laughs> that some human creativity uh, gets squeezed out by all those shortcuts yeah yeah, yeah. That was an interesting listen and an interesting chat too. It's really out there, isn't it? I mean, I'm really pleased we listened to it. It is difficult, but I I think there's something, like all of these pieces, there's something in there that if you give it the time, it gives you something back, right? These pieces resonate with me for weeks afterwards and actually Mm. inform other work that I'm involved in in a way that often surprises me. I think this is what actually gives them the uh, the status of artworks as opposed to just entertainment in the fact that they require a certain amount of effort from you but once you give them that effort they actually give you more than entertainment back i think there's substance there the next episode is going to be episode nine what are we going to listen to episode nine well i mean you mentioned it earlier but how about we dig into some of your ear films piece I think that would be interesting because it's kind of very much along this same track. Yeah. Okay. And it's called To Sleep To Dream, right? To Sleep To Dream, yeah. Good to see your face, Dan. Good to see yours too. And if you like this, share it, leave a review. Please send it on to people that you think might enjoy it too. Yeah, that's the the biggest thing you can do for us uh, is just let this spread by word of mouth. We've been hearing some lovely stuff back from people actually that have been enjoying the show. Um, and actually asking us how they can um, how they can let people know about us. Best thing you can do: stick it on social media, or just send it, you know, directly to a friend that you think might be into it. And let's grow this community of story lovers. All right, see you soon. All right, Dan. Let's love. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.